0: Welcome to Reprogramming with Lindsay Hyatt. I'm Lindsay, a brand strategist, copywriter, and pivot mentor with nearly two decades of experience. I've seen it all in both the corporate world and in entrepreneurship, and I'm here to spark conversation about the things that matter most. Reprogramming is a podcast to help you shift perspective, consider new viewpoints, and challenge your old belief systems around business, entrepreneurship health, wellness, parenting, empowerment, and more. If you are ready to reprogram your life for more success, fulfillment, and joy, or if you're ready to blow up the status quo, you are in the right place. Hello and welcome to another episode of Reprogramming. I'm your host, Lindsay Hyatt. Today, we are going to discuss the ideal of being a digital nomad, how that opportunity for entrepreneurs can be life and perspective changing, and how it demands that we examine our conditioned ways of working and living. Even if you're not someone who is able to or has a desire to travel frequently, this episode will likely resonate because we think it's important to consider new and healthier ways of approaching work, work work-life balance, and fulfillment, both professionally and in your personal life. Our guest today has plenty of experience as a business owner who's lived all over the world, and will share what she's observed and how it's changed her own approach. Rebecca Rosenberg is a conversational content writer and strategist for finance, tech, and B2B. She helps brands translate complex ideas into human speak because people won't buy from you if they don't get you, which... We know. Um, Rebecca draws on 10 plus years of marketing experience to help brands connect with audiences, share their value, and expand their reach through great content. She's also a proud polyglot. And yes, I had to Google that. That means somebody who speaks several languages. And she is location independent business owner who's lived in Mexico, Chile, Germany, Spain, South Korea, and Turkey. Rebecca, I'm so thrilled that you're here today. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Okay. So I would just love to get into your story because how cool that you've lived so many places. And I mean, I feel like this could go (laughs) well over an hour, but we'll try to keep it. We'll try to keep it tight. Start with telling us a bit about yourself, where you're from, and how you became a copywriter and B2B content strategist. Sure.
1: Uh, well, I'm originally from Austin, Texas. That's where I grew up. and But I'm currently located in Izmir, Turkey, which, if you're not familiar, is on the western coast of Turkey, on the Aegean, very close to Greece. So it's not a bad place to be. <laughs> mm. And um, I think like a lot of copywriters... And content writers, like kind of my journey to this path was roundabout and not linear. And I kind of fell into it by accident. Um, actually, before I got into marketing, I was an ESL teacher for several years. ESL is English as a second language. Um, I had studied Spanish and anthropology in undergrad and like, didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. And the ESL teaching was a great way for me to kind of travel and experience other cultures. So I taught at Austin Community College for a while. I lived in South Korea for three years teaching there, um, which is an amazing experience. And then at some point or not some point in 2010, I came back to the States because my dad was ill. And I decided to go to grad school at that point. I studied information science, Hmm. um, thinking that I might become a librarian. Oh, cool. Yeah. um, The program that I studied was at the University of Texas, and it was School of Information. So it's like very broad and forward thinking. So in addition to people who were like going into library school, there were, you know, archivists working with rare books. And then on all the other, completely other end of the spectrum, people doing like deep learning and AI and machine Hmm. learning. Um, So, through that experience, I realized I didn't really want to become a librarian, um, but I got turned on to digital media strategy and just uh, how people organize information online, how people process information. Social media was kind of still emerging at that time, and that was really interesting to me. So, I basically left grad school thinking I want to be a digital media strategist. And... Uh, For that, to that end, my capstone project for my grad school was kind of an internship at uh, one of the biggest event production companies in Texas. They do hundreds of concerts, they have a festival. So I was helping them like manage digital assets, you know, digital concert posters on Facebook and on the local events website and on their, you know, their website to promote. So, and then, then I also did some contributions to their blog. So just got really exposed to kind of what different aspects of content marketing were out there and then my first job like you know kind of real job after grad school was working for this taco chain called Tortilla Tacos which in Austin, like home, you know, grown, born and raised brand, but they've become huge. They're like a cult brand now with a a brand with a cult following. Now they have over a hundred locations in 10 States.
0: Wow! And
1: so, yeah. And it was a tiny marketing team of three people. So that I got like a crash course in, in content marketing. My title was social media manager, but I was really doing everything on the digital side. So the website, um, the blog, the email marketing, the social media, and I was also uh, got to do a lot of the strategy as far as like which platforms we want to be on, what's the email newsletter going to look like, how are we going to organize it, you know, and what are those messages we want to send. So that was an amazing experience. And um, from there, I went freelance. And I think like a lot of freelancers, when you're starting out, I was taking all kinds of projects on and all kinds of different industries and And different, like you know, types of writing, just to get experience, and that's kind of how I drifted into B two B from the B two C world, kind of by accident. Um, And as I started dealing with those, like seeing those B two B projects, I just realized there was like such a need for good content in that space. A lot of it, you probably know, you're nodding your head. It's really. (laughs) Jargony, it's really stiff. And I just, so I saw an opportunity to really like elevate that content. And then I found that I have a talent for kind of breaking down those really complex topics into human speech. And so that was something that resonated with, you know, the people I was pitching, the people at the companies I was trying to work for. So it's just kind of a beautiful synergy of like my talent, their need. And of course, it was nice that it was, you know, kind of a relatively lucrative niche. And here
0: I am. Wow, I love the path, and I love—I just love every part of it. Like you know, the education element, even the the sciences, the library sciences, and the in, information science element. Like I, th- I can see how that all just really beautifully adds up to where you ended up going with it. I have to ask because I'm sure everyone wants to know: Did you get free tacos? Yes, I did.
1: Okay, good. All right. I actually, I, just- I got like a. A card with like a hundred bucks a month that I got to spend on hot oh. and I would take my friends out. It was great. Yeah. Okay. Nice I had to make
0: shirt. sure because that would just be a sad, a sad miss if you didn't have that perk. Okay. You know, I'm glad you brought up the B2B content uh, kind of, uh, I don't want to say the stigma, but like, it can be so difficult for a larger corporation or uh you know businesses talking to each other especially if it's a product based thing to humanize the content and it is greatly needed and still greatly needed and i think even more needed with the surge of ai that we're dealing with you work in finance and tech how does it how does it work to create content that is digestible for, for audiences in the, those very technological fields?
1: Yeah. Great question. So I think it kind of helps that I'm also, I've become a subject matter expert, but when I go into it, I'm also just this random person who doesn't necessarily live in that world and understand all of that. So I first start with like, how can I understand this? And then how can I, you know, how would I explain it to Lindsay? also maybe not in that world um so yeah but I also I developed a framework to this was after like years of doing it I think frameworks happen that way like I was like this is how I'm doing it and then I had to look back and be like okay how can I conceptualize this but um yeah I realized what I was doing was you know it takes the holistic view of making it you know you're not just what the product does but how it helps those people um, how it changes people's lives, how it makes people's lives easier, what are other people in the industry doing. So, you know, it's that holistic research of like brand messages, industry, people, pain points. Um, it's making it useful and memorable and like bringing in that storytelling that I think is really important, especially now with AI, you know. Um, you just can't fake that stuff and you AI can't do that. And like humans, these people in B2B, they're still just humans trying to solve problems. So I'm trying to be useful. I'm trying to solve their problems. I'm trying to do it with a little fun and storytelling to make it memorable. You know, I'm um, not afraid to like throw in a pop culture meant, you know reference or something like that. Um, it needs to be authentic. So that means it's, you know, not that stuffy voice. Um, right. It's okay to throw some jokes in there or some slang. Hopefully, if the brand is you know adventurous enough with it, and then it's also just making it neat and like readable and scannable and understanding that people are busy. Even if they're B two B, that doesn't mean they want to read like a wall of text. You know. Um, so I think it, and I think it was also I brought in some of that B two C background with just like keeping it fun and loose and
0: yeah. So since we're talking content, talk to us about the role of content in business. So whether it is like a company or a solopreneur, there's the great debate around content versus copy, the difference, the importance of each and all of those things. Can you tell us your take on it and how you see content fitting into the overall strategy of a brand? Because you and I know how important it is, but I'm not sure if all of our viewers do, because- you know, It's something that, especially we've seen this year, when times get tough and marketing dollars are being cut, like content, copy, these are the things that tend to go first. But I want to talk about why it's so important.
1: Yeah, great. Another great question. Um, and I feel like I actually have gotten caught in the, caught up in the copy versus content debate before. And I've kind of come to the conclusion that I think the distinction makes sense. You know the general distinction is like content is maybe more educational, more informative, uh, and copy is to sell. It's more persuasive, but and that makes sense, yes. But I think there's so much like overlap and gray area between the two that at the end of the day, it's not a distinction that I feel the need to like. Mm-hmm uh obsess about or correct people about or something like that i think that you know if you're writing an email sequence that could be content or that could be copy or a little bit of both depending on what the end goal of that series is you know if it's a nurture sequence or if you're just trying to like share a newsletter or get someone to go to the blog you're still persuading them you're you know in quotes selling the click or something like that instead of selling the product mm-hmm. um but you still need a good hook. You still need to be persuasive. And then on the flip side, if you're writing a sales page, you still need to inform and educate before Mm. before you're gonna be able to persuade them. Um, So yeah, I think content tends to kind of be more top of the funnel or middle of the funnel to get into those like marketing terms, just because at the top of the funnel, people have less education about the problem and the potential solution. So you're kind of just like guiding them along the way.
0: Um, but I think it can fit anywhere. Mm-hmm. Thank you for walking yeah. us through that. I totally agree. And I think there's so much overlap between the two technical terms, but it really doesn't matter. And like you said, you know, yeah. you could have a sales page or an email sequence where it's storytelling based and you have to educate, you have to share that information, but you know, there's going to be a CTA of some kind at the end potentially. So I just wanted to clear that up because, you know, (laughs) it's a hot topic of discussion forever. So you are a bit of a digital nomad and and you use the phrase um, location independent business owner. And I love that. Um, So business, you've been running this business since 2017. How did you end up in Turkey and what's it like to make that transition? It sounds like you've been in a bunch of places before Turkey. So. We would love to hear your story. What was your favorite place? Like, tell us tell us how you got to where you are now. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'll start
1: at the beginning of the digital nomad journey and tell you how it kind of transitioned into location <laughs> independent. Um, so, yeah, I was working at Torchy's Tacos, doing my thing, loving life, eating all the free tacos. And I just started seeing things bubbling up online. I think this was maybe 2015 or so at this point. Um, started seeing things bubbling up on Instagram and on the web about the digital nomad lifestyle and like work from anywhere and being someone who had traveled a lot and had already lived in South Korea and you know I studied abroad in college in Mexico and just you know I was a traveler and this appealed to me and I I had been back in Texas for like 10 years at that point and so I was like I'm ready to get back out there. Mm -hmm. Um, so I saw this and then I, you know, thought about my job. I was like, I don't need to be tweeting from a desk. I don't necessarily need to be going into the office every day. Um, but my company was definitely not there yet. You know, they were like, it wouldn't be fair to everyone else. And this was pre pandemic and the world just hadn't really gotten there yet. So, um, I kind of started plotting and developed what I call now the no plan plan Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which was basically I said I'm going to save a certain amount of money and then I'm going to kind of coordinate that timing wise with when can I break my lease and then when can I quit my job and the plan what the no plan plan was (laughs) buy a plane ticket I didn't I knew you know I'm going to start in one place I don't know what all is on the itinerary I don't know how long I'm going to be gone and this idea was that I wanted to use freelance writing as kind of a way to stay relevant, uh, you know, while I was traveling in the industry, but also to make money and extend my travels. So it really just started out as that. I will say I think I had a secret inkling in the back of my mind that it was going to be something bigger, but I maybe wasn't mm. ready to admit to myself that I wanted to make it a full time thing. Yeah. Um, so there I was. I left in 2017 and. For the first year and a half, I would say I was I really was digital nomading. You know, I was moving around every month, you know, from place to place. I didn't really have a home base. I was, you know, staying in Airbnbs and hotels and I did a workaway stay, which is like really cool thing where you do volunteer work in exchange for like room and board. I met a really cool family and lived in Montenegro. Um and then after about a year and a half, I got thinking i want to slow down a little bit and i um did this program i participated in a program in spain it's called auxiliares de conversacion norte americano which is essentially like north american language and culture assistance and it was an awesome deal because uh i got a long-term visa for europe well a year visa for the eu and i got like a really small stipend of like 700 euros a month, but it was tax-free healthcare. And I would go and teach at a a Spanish school and like, you know, help the kids with their English. So that, and the great part about it was I was only teaching 12 hours a week and the rest of the time I used to build my copywriting business. Um, So that's kind of where I started like dedicating more time to it and really thinking like, I'm going to build this into something sustainable and was also satisfying my slowing down goal, but still being in Europe. <laughs> um, and then, I guess I th- th- this is the point I should mention. At some point on this journey, I met and fell in love with a German, <laughs> and we're we're now married. Yeah. So, yeah. So after Spain, I went to Germany. Um, I had been, I went to Tunisia, I had like spent time in Colombia, spent time in Mexico, Spain, and then the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. um, which was okay because I was wanting to slow down. But mm-hmm. at that point, I was it was 2020 and I was in Germany the whole time for like a year and a half. I had a tourist visa that they kept extending because of the situation, which was very nice. And so my husband and I got married in 2021. We're getting close to Turkey now. Yeah, shortly after he got offered a position as an assistant lecturer at a university in Turkey through this organization called German Academic Exchange Service. And so we moved here in November of 2021. And it was basically, uh, it's going to be a two to three year contract. We're going to be here, I think, nine more months. Wow. And it's been amazing so
0: far. Yeah. Okay, that was a long. I felt like I have so many questions. I'm probably going to (laughs) forget. Number one, what does your husband do? I'm just curious because my husband used to be an archaeologist. So I like to hear how people get around and, and find these new ways to travel.
1: Yeah, so he actually, he has an interesting background, too. I mean, he's a lecturer now, like a professor, but he has studied um, social work, and he studied Middle Eastern studies, and he had, like, done some studies in Istanbul before during his, so that's why he was a good fit for this. He speaks a little bit of Turkish, like, knows the culture, so, Uh, but yeah, and he has a PhD in comparative literature, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Never. Yeah, but we we got brought here for a professorship job.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad it's working out for him. My husband has a PhD in Roman archaeology and classics and he works in the aerospace, uh, you know, nothing to do with what he set out to do. It's very nichey, huh. very nichey, but that is I crazy. love Yeah, I love hearing um how people can find different opportunities to travel. So it sounds like you always had the travel bug. Um how did you decide before you started to slow down? How did you decide where you wanted to go? And like how did you was it stressful to like figure out how to go to Columbia or go to um some of the other places you've been? Um yeah, sometimes it was stressful, sure. I think I chose
1: based on places I hadn't been before or places I I definitely like off the beaten path places. For sure. So like when I was in Europe, I was really interested in like Eastern Europe because I hadn't been there as much. And I liked the Balkans, which was like, you know, um, Montenegro, Croatia, Bosnia, all that area was super interesting to me historically. And I think it's just because um, when I mentioned Bosnia, people are like, ah, yeah, war zone, scary. And I'm like, I went there and I was like, it's gorgeous. I mean, there is that kind of a dark history there from you know what happened in the 90s and stuff but I just love kind of unpeeling back those layers and being like it's not what everybody thinks it is um yeah so I just or we choose based on if we know someone there or we choose based on yeah I I don't know
0: I can't answer that necessarily it's too hard I know it depends
1: every trip yeah
0: Well, I appreciate you saying that too, because even some people might hear Turkey and think like, oh yeah, it's that, you know, scary things happen in Turkey. I've been Mm -hmm. fortunate enough to visit Turkey very briefly um, on a Mediterranean cruise, which was super cool. But Turkey was at one of our favorite stops. It was just so beautiful. And it was, you know, right on the Mediterranean um, and close to Greece and all of that. So I love the idea of being able to peel back the layers of like what we've heard just being stateside, you know, we only, I feel like we only get a piece of the information about what's happening in the world sometimes. Um, and then, you know, after something like a war, like what happens after that? So to be able to be on the ground and see it, Oh, makes me want to travel so bad. Um, excuse me. So, okay. So my next question is how, how was it to be, in Germany during this pandemic where you can't leave and you don't, you know, there's so much uncertainty for everybody for so long. Was it hard to be, I hate to use the word stuck, but like feeling like you couldn't really, you know, you didn't, you had to stay there essentially during all the quarantines and stuff. What was that like?
1: Um. So it was hard. Yes. And no, like, I, I think, so first of all, my mom, when it all started in March of 2020, she was like, "Come home." And yeah. I was like, no, because <laughs> um, you know if we all knew it was going to last longer than this, like few weeks, or if I had this suspicion. Um, so I think watching what was going on in the U.S. and how politicized everything mm-hmm. was, I did feel like I'm glad I'm not there. Yes. I felt like um, that seemed really stressful. And I'm sure to some people like the restrictions in Germany got pretty strict, like there was during the years like they were restricting like how many people can meet inside and there was like a curfew at one point, you know, you can only walk alone at night, if you have your dog or if you're walking home or like silly things that I'm sure a lot of people in America would have objected to but I felt And that was a bummer. It was a bummer. But I I liked that it wasn't on each individual to like decide and everybody to argue about it. I was just like, at least it's set. And like, everybody knows what you do. And, you know, um, know, yeah, I mean, it got a little sticky for a while. They started to try and do like the vaccine card, like, you know, make you show it. And people didn't like that here either. And that didn't really last very long. But yeah, I just felt safe with, like, no one's freaking out about, am I wearing a mask or not? I know. Like, vacation, There's no question. So, um, yeah. There was no question. Yeah. But, um, and we were allowed to take road trips and stuff like that. We did some, like, you know, chill, safe, outdoor beach vacations. And, like, I yeah. we went to Slovenia for a week where it's very, you know, like, less population. We went to, like, a lake and just did really, yeah. And it was hard being away from my family. And I definitely would say that i think that uh that maybe influenced the marriage decision with help and made things easier with you know visas because at one point americans like i could go home because it was my home country but i wouldn't be able to get back into the eu and so i was like uh this is scary because you know i want to be with my partner i want to see my family and you know i wanted to live in europe but at that point that was already my home mm-hmm. but yeah, it was it was a lot. It was a lot of mixed emotions as you can imagine.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. It's um how often do you get home to see your family and is that ever something that is hard for I'm sure it is hard for you. It sounds like your mom still lives in Texas and I don't know if you have other family there, but do you get home frequently to visit? I do.
1: I've been going home once a year um every year except for that pandemic year and then in 2020 or 2022 we came home twice because we were doing wedding celebrations and stuff but yeah and that's the biggest thing I think when you go abroad at first there's all the usual things that are hard like language and you know um you know just adjusting to different things but the longer I'm gone that's the hardest thing is being away from my family and friends missing them wondering if I'm doing a good enough job of like maintaining those relationships and Mm -hmm. It's hard, but my sister and her daughter came to visit me in Turkey and they came to visit me in Spain. And I'm pretty sure my brother's coming later this year and, and a couple of friends have come to
0: visit. So that's really special when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we kind of already touched on this, but are there, were there other challenges that you faced whether, I mean, any, through any of your journey going international, was there any, was it the relationships that were maybe the hardest? harder part or was there any like just like logistics things you mentioned the visa I don't know if, if there's anything else we didn't chat about
1: yeah visas are definitely a challenge I mean it's more challenging in Europe to be honest because they have a stricter policy hmm. a lot of countries you can just go for 90 days and then like if you leave for two days you get another 90 days uh, Um, so there's definitely ways around that it's just the EU has a little bit of a stricter Policy, but yeah, visas are interesting, language is interesting, but I love learning languages, so that's like a fun challenge. And you learn to use hand gestures and facial expressions and you know, learn a lot from context. Yeah. Um so that's really fun. I think that kind of plays into my work too, I think, with just being understanding communication and being intuitive and stuff. Um oh, as a business owner who my business is registered in the States. And,
0: you know, so taxes are really not fun for me, but I'm figuring it out. (laughs) I was going to ask about that because, you know, doing business from all the different countries, like how I can't even imagine, like, how do you all of that out with taxes and, and even contracts working with people overseas? Like, has that been a struggle or is that just kind of something you navigate as you get to it?
1: Uh so most of 99% of my clients are American based companies as well. I've worked with a couple of uh German companies doing some proofreading for them and a couple of UK clients, but I just use you no know, contracts are pretty straightforward. Um you know, payments, now we have so much technology it's usually pretty easy. Um taxes uh USA taxes people based on citizenship, not resident, not residency. So I have to pay, or I have to file U.S. taxes no matter what, every year, no matter where I am, unless I give up my citizenship. Um, and then when I was digital nomading, it wasn't really an issue because I didn't have residence anywhere, so I didn't become, I wasn't tax obligated there. And the Spain thing that was tax free, like it was stated in the contracts. So that was nice. Um, it's now, the only time that it's becoming, like, I'm going to have to start paying taxes in Germany now that I'm a bona fide resident now that I'm married, but they have an agreement with the states that there's no, so that I won't pay double. So like, let's say at the end of the year, Germany says I owe, I don't know, 10,000. And then I would just show them, well, I already paid 5,000 in the US and then they take that off.
0: Oh, that's nice. I was so, wondering yeah. that. That's interesting. I'm sure it's different in every country, but well, that, thank God. <laughs>
1: Yeah, apparently a lot of countries have this agreement with the US because um, there's, you know, a lot of people working for companies abroad. So they came up with something that, that is helpful. And I guess, yeah, my my advice to anyone else who would be doing this would be just find a CPA who works with expats because I've had people that didn't really understand, you know, they're just not used to working with that. They don't know the forms that are there and the policies. And so you really want to work with someone that has experience with that
0: population. That's a good tip. Good tip. So for anyone who hasn't traveled abroad, the lifestyle, I mean, I can speak to some some of Europe, but Europe and elsewhere in the world is quite different from the hustle first mentality that we've been conditioned with as Americans. Um, and in my time in Italy kind of set the stage for me to question everything. I, I really had my whole career, but I thought there was something wrong with me. But really seeing other people in another country do it differently just made me think like, why are we living like this? So I would love to hear what you noticed on your travels and how it shifted your perspective.
1: Yeah. I love that question. And I definitely want to hear about Italy another day. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you're totally right. America, I think is much more of a hustle culture. I think it's more um, live to work, whereas Europe is more work to live, I think. And that's one of the things I love about the mindset. Um, I think you know, they all have way more vacation time. In most European countries, they get 30 days off a year, plus all the bank holidays. It's paternity leave and maternity leave is a year. Um, it's, it's very different. One thing that really surprised me when I went to Germany, you know, because I think, you know, they have a reputation for being hardworking and efficient, and they are, but they take a lot of time off and they really value their time off. But when they're off, they're off. They're not checking their email from their phone at nine o'clock at night. Like, um you know there's it's it's very respected and in the workplace too i think you know in my experience in america like taking time off or pto sometimes people feel like uh is the boss gonna look down on me are they gonna think i'm lazy and there it's just not there's not that stigma about it which is great you know i haven't worked in the corporate world in germany but just from all my friends and everybody i know everybody i talk to it's just different um you don't see like 24 hour stores open a lot of the stores and retail are closed on sunday by law in most in most cities some of the bigger cities in germany they don't do that but um yeah i mean in countries like spain too it's just more leisurely they're like i have time for a coffee at any time of the day (laughs) it's great it's great
0: i love that um do you feel like just from the people you know and friends in, in your travels that were in Germany or in Turkey, do, do you feel like people feel like they're healthier have more of like balance in their life? It feels like that based on what you describe.
1: Um, I'm not sure if they think they're healthier or more balanced because maybe they don't have something to compare it to, mm. but I think they, I think they like their leisurely life, you know? I mean, and don't get me wrong, like Turks work very long hours. They work very long hours here. That was another thing that surprised me. Like sometimes their shifts will be like 12 hours. Wow. But they are allowed to take a lot of breaks and, you know, it's, I don't know, it just feels more flexible. So, you know, and Turkey's going through a little bit of an economic crisis right now. So it's a little bit stressful for people here um, as far as surviving and getting by. So, but at the same time, they're some of the most happiest, chipperest, jolliest, funniest people I've ever seen So. That's also something that amazes me. You
0: know,
1: there's people around the world and the hospitality is incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, were there any personal habits or belief systems or outside factors that you had to confront or reprogram on your journey as a business owner who's independently living all over the world? yes definitely i
1: mean i think on a high level sense i had to kind of reprogram my whole idea of you know what a normal path of life looks like you know i'm definitely not living the like climb the corporate ladder buy a house have kids uh path and living a different path and so um and that still shocks me sometimes when i go back to the u.s and i see my friends and you know I envy them. I think they envy me a little bit and it makes me question like, oh, wait, did I want that? Or, you know, um, and I know in my heart, I don't, but it always just, yeah, it's a little bit emotional. Um, But yeah, so just just like, what's my idea of success? You know, my, uh, the first year my business hit six figures was great, but I had a panic attack and my, my mental health was horrible. So I kind of had to, you know, realize that like success is, is also not about that because as a freelancer, I'm sure, you know, it's, you know, the whole coveted six figure freelancer, and that's the goal that you're supposed to go for. And I thought that was the goal I was supposed to go for. And then I realized that that's not the most important thing. Definitely my mental health is more important and that work-life balance. So this year I'm really trying to focus on that. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the work-life balance, uh, that theme, that's another thing I definitely had to reprogram, you know, with like time zones, it's, You know, I work with U.S. companies, thankfully, as a writer, you know, a lot of times we're left to our own devices and I just turn in something. But, you know, I'm doing strategy as well and we have to collaborate. You know, I've had longer term contracts where we had a weekly call and Mm -hmm. that gets to be a lot. So I've had to kind of just learn how to protect my time Mm -hmm. um, with, you know, only taking calls on two days a week and then really blocking out those other ones so I can go to the gym or, you know, Mm -hmm. go to an event or something. Um, and just trying to figure out what schedule works for me, you know, because I'm a morning person, so I'm productive in the morning, so I can't just wake, I can't just like start my day later to coincide with U.S. Yeah. Schedule. Um, so just trying to find that, uh, balance because yeah, sometimes I'm fine with working in the evening, but sometimes it's less pleasant or sometimes my husband wants to hang out with me after work and I'm like, I got to do this thing. So yeah, so that's been an interesting, um reorganization of priorities.
0: Yeah. I was curious about that because I, like you said, uh, I think a lot of us are morning people and that's like when we have our energy, but if it doesn't align with the clients you're working with and you're in meetings late at night, like how does that affect you and the work you're doing? But it sounds like you have a good system for having some boundaries.
1: Um, I try to set up my business so that I don't have to take like too many calls, you know, just doing intake forms to Mm -hmm. kind of do some of that legwork for me and just Making sure that client it's really clear what the expectations are from the client beforehand so that I'm not yeah. signing a contract and then they're like, Oh, by the way, we're going to have a stand up meeting every Friday at 3 p.m. I'm like, No, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> um, yeah. And most clients are really understanding I'm very upfront. You know, I'm like, Hey, I'm American. My business is US based and I'm trained there, but I'm in Turkey. So that has to be okay for you or else you're not my ideal client. Yeah. yeah. And most of them think it's cool and fun. Thank
0: you. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm like, have you had any like pushback or weirdness from people who are like, "Oh, that's you know, you're so far away. I don't know how that's gonna work." I mean, I think at the very beginning, I had a few clients who just that wasn't their style.
1: They were just a little more old school, and they wanted to do like face to face, and that's totally fine. And yeah, but again, I think since 2020 and the pandemic, everything's really changed. I I really haven't had that many, but. And the few I have, I'm just like, that's cool. It's totally your prerogative. I understand. You know, I understand if you work on the West Coast, it's hard if you can only have meetings with me until noon, you know. And I'm always like, I'll make an exception if it's something special. And if it's not all the time, I'm happy to like stay up late to do an important call to make, you know, make it work.
0: Yeah. Okay. So if you could leave the audience with one perspective to consider in their own lives, what would it be?
1: Oh, I think I would say sometimes in life, you just have to plug your nose and jump. <laughs> mm, yes. And I say that because like, I'm very much a planner and I like to have all the facts before I like make a decision. But when I look back on my life and the stories I just told you, I'm like, I think the coolest and most exciting things in my life have happened because I was willing to like, accept a little bit of uncertainty and just like mm-hmm. dive into it a little bit.
0: And- yeah. Being a planner, was that uncomfortable growth for you to have to kind of let yourself just go, just like take, make the leap and, and figure it out? Was it hard?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yes. And I think that's probably part of why I did it. I mean, I think it was because I had done some traveling before. It felt like the next big challenge and like next frontier to be like, I'm traveling indefinitely and I don't know where I'm going. And
0: yeah, it was definitely scary.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But exciting. too. Yeah. Uh,
0: I have to ask, and maybe you don't know this answer yet, but do you guys know where you're going to go after Turkey? Are you going to stay there? I mean, I know uh, your husband has some time still, so maybe you don't know. But I'm just curious if it's something you've thought about.
1: Um, no, I think we're going to go back to to Germany, uh, to the Rhineland where his family is from, uh, just to be closer to family. Ironically enough, I think my husband would like love to live in Texas or in America. <laughs> he loves it. And but I'm like, no, I like Europe. Let's stay in Europe. So yeah. We'll see. I love that. He
0: loves to go yeah. Texas.
1: <laughs> he loves Texas. But he so uh, you did ask me at the beginning and I don't think I answered you, but my favorite country in the world and one of my favorite places to live is Mexico um I love Mexico and he also has lived there so like I could see us maybe someday not in the near future directly after Turkey but maybe going back to Mexico which would be cool because then I'd be nearer to my family but still
0: abroad I did Mexico for my honeymoon which I know is not real Mexico but I loved it I want to go back so bad (laughs) it's an amazing country it
1: was such a rich history yeah
0: Okay. So what is coming up for you? What are you working on now? Share what you're, uh, yeah, what's next for you and how people can connect with you. Sure. So I definitely would love
1: to connect with anybody who wants to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, it's Rebecca Rosenberg with an ERG. And I'm pretty sure I'm the only Rebecca Rosenberg in Turkey. So I should be pretty <laughs> easy to find. <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah, in addition to my done for you copywriting services, I also offer mentoring and coaching to like newer freelancers or people who want to take the leap into freelancing, um, especially if you are interested in doing it like the location independent digital nomad style. I would you know, have a lot of tips and love sharing my experience about how to make that work logistically, like what you should prepare for emotionally, et cetera. Um, and you can just find info about that on my website, which is RebeccaRosenberg.net.
0: Awesome. We'll link all that in the show notes. And I know that there's this is like (laughs) something that so many people are interested in doing. And even if it's like later in time, like I'd love to travel more with my kids when they're a little older. Like I think you are a wealth of information. So um, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are going to want to connect with you. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your awesome story. Uh, I think it's just really inspirational. And it also serves as just another way we can kind of consider, no matter where we live, like what our work and personal life look like.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Lindsay. So for fun.
0: Thanks for joining me on this episode of Reprogramming. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love if you shared this episode with your network and tagged me at Reprogramming Pod or at the Lindsey Hyatt on Instagram. If any episode has impacted you, it would mean the world if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening platform. For more information on how to work together or to learn more about my signature program, Superfecta, visit lindsayhyatt.com or lindsayhyatt.co. See you next time.